Picture this. A red-eyed ghost, its presence felt in the dead of night, haunting our thoughts and kindling our deepest fears. Oh, but that's just the beginning. Ever heard of a Bigfoot ghost? Yes, you heard right. We're unraveling an unprecedented tale that blurs the lines between reality and the supernatural, questioning the very essence of our beliefs. And as if that's not enough, imagine an ancient warrior robot, a relic from history that defies time itself. So, seekers of the extraordinary, skeptics and believers alike, fasten your seatbelts as we embark on a journey that will challenge your perception of what's possible. Get ready for a spine-tingling episode where the red-eyed ghost, the Bigfoot ghost, and the ancient warrior robot await to awaken your sense of wonder. This is Strange Pathways, where the unexplained comes to life. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I am your host, Scott Mort. I'm having a good week. I hope you are having a good week, too. This is the first week that I've done a little experiment uh, with mixed results, uh, whispers in the abyss. I'm taking some posts that I found on Reddit, some things that I found on 4chan, green text, what have you, and either reading them out myself, as I did in one case about a gentleman who had an unusual experience during mall security or having text-to-speech read it out. Uh, please, give me some feedback. I've had a little bit of feedback on it, some good, some bad. I want to know, is this worth continuing? Give me a little bit of feedback and let me know what you think. Uh, I'd like to continue with it. Maybe not at the pace that I have been doing it, but I would like to continue with it. I've also been uploading shorts on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Some of the TikTok ones, I I was stunned. One of the ones I put up on TikTok got just a little bit short of 120,000 views. Once again, give me the feedback. Let me know. Do you want to see those shorts continue? Do you enjoy them? Do you want something else from them? This is really your podcast. This is really your YouTube channel. What have you? I'm just honored to be delivering this stuff to you. On to this week's tapes. Our first tale takes us back to 2003, Chicago, Illinois. LB and her boyfriend, who would later become her husband, lived in an apartment in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago. Now, whenever they first moved to this apartment, LB felt like she was being watched. She would get that pit in her stomach, the, the, the hairs on the neck popping up. That sense of unease, if you will. I think everybody has it. It's, it's almost proof of, of psychic ability. You know, you know when you're being watched. Do the experiment. Pick out a, a family member or even a stranger and just watch the back of their neck. Give it a count of like 30 or 40. And before you know it, that person's going to be looking left and right. Make of that what you will. 
LB, LB was young. She was 23 whenever she first moved in. And she was also a senior in college. So she's thinking, oh, this is stress. This is starting out my life as an adult. This is, this is just me. This is a hundred percent me. Um, at the time, LB does not believe in the paranormal. Everything that they've done, they've analyzed it endlessly. They, they have to see it to believe it. One night though, LB goes to bed and LB is just laying there. Cannot get to sleep. That insomnia strikes. LB and her husband, boyfriend at the time, they have two cats. Bless them. They normally sleep in the bed with LB and her boyfriend, but not tonight. After a while, of just not being able to find sleep, LB sits up in bed and looks out of the bedroom doorway. Now, from LB's doorway, she can see the dining room area. If the cats were playing, they would always end up in the dining room area. And I feel that. Whenever my cats play, they always end up in the living room. So, they are predictable to to a certain degree. Any cat owner knows what I'm talking about. The, the apartment is small. 700 square feet. And that dining room area where they played, it was kind of central to the apartment. She was actually kind of lonely. She she was hoping she could see them. So she could go, kitty, kitty, kitty. And they would come back and give her company. It was dark. The The apartment's windows let in dim light from the neighbors across the, the way. Typical large city light pollution, what have you. LB's eyes, a quick, they quickly adjust. And then she sees it. There was this, this very dark black. Like velveteen tar. Think Vanta black, if you're familiar with the substance. And it's this black, this mass is just past where the apartment's small hallway ended and this dining room area began. This mass is seven feet high and has a rough head and this shoulder torso shape, but the rest of it just kind of mists off into nothing. LB is not really sure what she's seeing. She's not alarmed at first. She's thinking... Maybe this is an incredibly black shadow. LB leans forward to get a better look. She's baffled. She doesn't understand what she's seeing. But then, as she's looking at this thing, this thing turns and looks at her. There are two red eyes in the head of this mask. No other features can be seen. She she can't remember if the eyes were glowing or just plain red, but they were red. And that amazement, that curiosity, that is very rapidly replaced by fear. Not just fear, 
but fear on an instinctual level. This thing then swoops through the bedroom doorway and towards LB. And LB just does what I think any of us would do. She ducks under the covers. Isn't that weird that we always go, we always go to that very childhood-like place? Ducks under the covers. If I can't see it, it can't see me. The feeling that LB has, it reminds her of the intense terror whenever you realize the monster in your nightmare has spotted you. As she's hiding under that blanket, the air starts to become thick. And she can't really breathe as well. And she's she's no doubt hyperventilating. She wakes her husband, like pokes him in the ribs hard, and makes him makes him trying to make him at least sit up, do something. He doesn't really really do anything and then finally he does he sits up he doesn't react strangely so lb goes uh, must be gone but later they see the shadow again altogether they ended up seeing this this black red-eyed mass three times but it was never never as threatening as it was the first time. It took years for LB to psychologically accept this experience. The The explanation that LB came to was that she was in some sort of sleep paralysis and it was... Just sort of a hallucination. But that doesn't really make sense, does it? Because her husband saw it later on. She was able to move freely. She was yet to fall asleep. So she comes to this conclusion eventually as well. It wasn't sleep paralysis. She goes and does research. Bless her. She goes and does research at the Chicago History Museum Research Center. She finds out that the apartment building was built in the early 1970s. Before that, a Jewish academy had been on site. And then before that, in around the 1940s, a house that was on site also burned down. But there were no injuries, no deaths. The house was once inhabited by a large family. One of their sons was a Marine that died of disease while deployed overseas during the First World War. And before that, there's no record of that address. Bravely, bravely, LB sent a message to the property management company asking if anyone has ever reported anything paranormal. LB was expecting a no. LB was expecting no response. And a couple of days later, she gets the answer. They were aware of it. The landlords were aware of the situation, but they hadn't had 
any reports of activity in years. So what does that mean? Is what LB saw cyclic? Almost like Pennywise in, in it. Does it, does it go 20 years, 15 years, five years? Is it cyclic? Does it get stronger? Does it only appear to certain people? Maybe if you have a certain chemistry makeup or you've gone through a specific trauma, it will appear to you, but to no one else. It definitely doesn't seem like LB herself is haunted. It seems like it was the the residence that was haunted. But that's always that's always intrigued me. Why do some people see something and others don't? I one night I was with I was with a person that I was in a relationship with. This was many, many years ago before I met the love of my life, Ariana. But I was in a relationship with this person. And I was dropping a book off at the local library. Now, my local library at the time, the wonderful Ruth Enloe Library in Grantsville, it has a night drop box. And I was dropping this book off. I'm a night owl. But I was dropping this book off at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., something like that. And my girlfriend at the time was with me. And as we're driving around to that drop box, my girlfriend looks into the library and says, oh my God, there's somebody working there. I go, that's insane, this late at night? And I was good friends with all the librarians. And she goes, yeah, yeah, look. As God as my witness, I could not see anybody i stopped the car i looked in through the window tapped on the glass i saw nobody but my girlfriend was insistent she goes get the hell out of here we're we're gonna scare that poor woman but there was a nobody there i mean what what was i to make of that so, a couple of days later, I popped into the library. <laughs> I would get myself books on tape, books to read. At that time, I was voracious in reading. My mother, my mother hadn't developed cancer yet, so I used all that spare time for something. And unfortunately, after taking care of my mom through her cancer to her death, uh, it's a, it's a habit. Reading is not a habit that I've picked back up, even though I so desperately want to. I just I never seem to have the time. But I went out and I talked to one of my friends at the library. And I know she listens to this show, so I won't say your name, but hey, miss you. And she goes, yeah, a few weird things have happened here. But it was very odd because the library had only been built for for just a couple of years. 
Holy shit! Holy shit! <laughs> okay. This is getting edited out, but I'm going to tell some of you. I'm going to put this up separately. <laughs> this... Oh, my... I'm telling a story about how, like, my girlfriend could see a ghost. And, uh, and my wife just walks out of the bathroom with, with like a white, white face mask on. Scared the living crap out of me. She looks like the Bahamian version of the I Like Turtles kid. I love you too, honey. I'm leaving this in. I'm leaving this in. Oh my heavens. I, I apologize for the language. But this is too good to leave out. I am absolutely leaving this in. So my my point is, what is it that makes some people just be able to tune into this and some people not? And, And more to the point, I have had paranormal events where I have seen entities. Why couldn't I see this particular entity? It's a question I would love to to have answered. I really would. I'm still thinking about my wife's face. I need a photo of this. On to the next tale. Our next tale is going to take us back to the early 1980s, southeast Missouri. Now, this story is short, and the author, A.M., who wrote in to Beyond the Darkness, admits that it's short. A.M.'s parents and neighbors were hanging out. They were having a few beers in the neighbor's yard, and all the kids were playing. It was just after dark, and these kids, they decide to play tag. And it is, as a country boy, I can tell you, it is the perfect time to play tag. Whenever you've got just a little bit of light, it's easy for everybody to hide, it's fun, you you don't really know who you're tagging until you're almost on top of them. Now, AM's neighborhood, he, he figures it's most like most neighborhoods. But his neighborhood was near a creek, and this creek ran for miles and miles. And it passes through several thick stands of trees. It feels like the neighborhood I grew up in. I grew up in Salisbury, Pennsylvania. So the kids have been playing a while, the adults talking, having a few beers. A.M. is not it. A.M. was running away from whomever was it. But at that moment, A.M. sees something. It's this almost glowing white shape walking between two trees in the yard in front of A.M., It's huge. 
he said it looked like uh, a, a cross between Patty, the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot, and a costume villain from Scooby-Doo. It passed behind a tree. It was gone. Didn't reappear on the other side. Just gone. AM is stunned and terrified. He can't take his eyes off of where it had been. But he's still running. He's so stunned that he runs right into a tree. And kind of hurts himself. After all the hubbub of A.M. running into a tree was over, A.M. tells his brother about it. He, his brother goes, you just imagined it. You knocked yourself out and you imagined it. And almost everybody else that A.M. has told this story to has said the same thing. You imagined it. You had a head injury. You imagined it. But A.M. knows what he saw and that he saw it before he hit the tree. He's gone on to call this whatever he saw. He calls it Bigfoot's ghost. Now we have had cases of Bigfoot seemingly vanishing on the spot. Bigfoot tracks leading to the middle of a field and just ending. Maybe what he saw wasn't the ghost of a Bigfoot, even though that is a tantalizing prospect, not going to lie. But maybe what he saw, if Bigfoot is an interdimensional creature, maybe he saw a Bigfoot exiting this reality. Absolutely fascinating. Our last tale is going to take us all the way back to the year... 1027 AD, Rajasthan, India. A group of workers are digging in the ground for water. Now they're in this village in the state of Rajasthan called Katu. After digging for about 30 feet, trying to dig this well, they find a strange metal box which was sealed airtight. And on that box there is one word engraved. Barbaric. They break the box open and they find a skull, but not an ordinary skull. This skull is made of some strange shining metal and it has two eyeballs in the eye sockets. The workers seal the box back up and take it to the king, King Rup Singh Chahuan. King Chahuan calls all of the scholars, 
the professors, the learned men to his court to try to figure out what this is. What is barbaric skull? These learned men, they search through ancient books and find nothing about anybody or anything called Barbaric. And then, after some time, from the far south came a priest. Barbaric was a great warrior, according to this priest. This Barbaric lived 5,000 years ago, during the time of Lord Krishna. Barbaric was not human. He possessed a god-like strength. His speech was slow. He could not recognize faces. But he was capable of handling multiple weapons at the same time. And he can solve math problems in mere moments. Complex, intricate, mathematical solutions. Lord Krishna had decided to meet with Babarak after hearing about his strength and his strange, strange intelligence. There was a war that everyone knew was going to start soon. The war of Mahabharata. Krishna asks Barbaric, what side are you going to support? Now, as Barbaric couldn't, couldn't see faces, he didn't recognize Krishna. But Krishna, he's thinking to himself, Barbaric would be a game changer in the upcoming war. Barbaric replies, I will support the side which is weaker than the other side. It's his duty to save as many humans as he could. And this was the way Barbaric would behave in battle. He would support the weaker side. But Krishna sees the flawed logic in this. Krishna says if Barbaric supports the weaker army and destroys the stronger army, after a certain point, the stronger army becomes the weaker army and the weaker army becomes the stronger army. What do you do then? Humans, humans would understand. It, it's not about the size of the army, it's the idea behind it. But Barbaric does not understand this concept. He understands numbers. Barbaric replies to Lord Krishna, after a certain time, I'll switch sides. And I'll fight the other army, because now they've become stronger. This this makes no sense because if you keep switching between the sides, says Lord Krishna, eventually you'll destroy both sides completely. Krishna decides that Barbaric is a weapon that can't be trusted. Krishna tells Barbaric this. 
and asks him, can you cut your head off from your own body? And Barbaric does. He removes his head, offers it to Krishna, but continues to talk. This, I mean, this is, this is obviously not a human. This doesn't seem like a god. This is a robot. We would recognize this as some sort of robot today. But this is 4000 BC, if I'm doing the math correctly. I'm not barbaric. I, I, I can't do math that quick. Now, there are those that claim that Barbaric was the grandson of Behemoth. But if that were true, the argument can be made he would have been mentioned in the text of Mahabharata. But he's not. He's not. Even the name, even the name is a clue. Barbaric. It comes from Sanskrit. It, it means inhuman. It's related to the English word barbaric, obviously. It, it means inhuman. One who does not understand human emotion and thoughts. Oh, but it gets so much weirder. Krishna takes barbaric's head and according to the history, he attaches three arrows to it because it is still responding to him and he flies it out over the battlefield of Mahabharata like a drone. Like a drone. That battle, the battle of Mahabharata, the entire battle is watched live by another individual named Sanjaya, he's miles away from the battlefield. The same way that a drone would transmit live video feed, the skull of Barbaric is transmitting this entire battle. It's obvious that this entity was not a human entity. It was not some sort of god. This was a robot. A very ancient robot. If one is so inclined, you can even go to this day where they found Barbary Skull. There is a temple there called Katushyam Temple. Inside of this temple, on the spot where they excavated his head, remember they were digging a well. That, that well, that pool still exists. It is known as the Shyam Kunt inside the temple. And believe it or not, you can go see Barbaric Skull. Kind of, sort of. They've plastered it and painted a face over it, but it is, it is confirmed by the authorities that this is his original skull. Whether that's just words to get tourists there, 
or not? Who knows? I do find it incredibly fascinating, though. What lies under that plaster? I'd love to know, and I bet you would, too. Thank you for joining us once again here on Strange Pathways. If, and I cannot stress this enough, if you are having mental health trouble dealing with a paranormal incident, you don't have to go through it alone. Please reach out to the professionals that can help you. The Opus Network, www.opusnetwork.org. The link will be in the description down below. Uh, if you want to, Get our Spike Island Encounter t-shirt. The link will be down below. Absolutely terrifying. I've had so many people say, I, I don't like that image. <laughs> so, if you want to scare me as much as my wife scared me earlier in the episode, uh, feel free to get your Spike Island Encounter t-shirt. Our Twitter is Pathway Strange. TikTok and Instagram, Strange Pathways Podcast. And head over to the Facebook I'll be sure to have a picture of my wife's lovely yet frightening face up on the up on the Facebook for everyone to see. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe over on the YouTube channel. That sort of stuff really helps us out. And please, please, leave a comment. Let me know. What do you think of Whispers in the Darkness? Uh... Do you hate it? Do you love it? Are you ambivalent towards it? What do you think you could make it better? Should I scrap it all together? Please let me know in the comments down below. Thank you so very much for joining me here again this week on Strange Pathways. Take care of yourselves and each other. Yeah.